Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. The question for discussion today is, will this be the end of the inventory supercycle? On the agenda, we'll examine the Purchasing Managers Index. Then we'll look at a typical inventory cycle. We'll see where we're at with the current inventory. Next, we'll analyze retail sales and we'll explore the question of whether there's any capacity left for expansion. And of course, as always, we'll cover the investment implications. My name's Sam Kerr, and I'm the Senior Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. As always, we have the Head of Investments, Damien Klassen. Damien, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Sam. And we also have our Chief Strategist, David Llewellyn-Smith. Dave, welcome. Thanks for joining us. G'day, Sam. Happy New Year. Good to be back. It's great. Great to have you back. Um, so just a quick reminder before we get started, if you enjoy our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell below to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded. Alternatively, follow us on your preferred podcast platform. Our show is available on all the majors. For those of you listening in live, feel free to drop your questions in the YouTube live stream chat and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. So now that we've got that little bit of housekeeping out of the way, we'll get into things. So Damien, I'll hand it over to you to get us started. Yeah, sure. So we thought it'd be worth having a bit of a, uh, a closer look again at supply chains um, this week and, and just sort of where we are. Um, I think there's, we, we spoke about sort of mid last year, maybe a little bit earlier, um, about this idea of this inventory super cycle where uh, you, you go through what was a, what an ordinary um, sort of uh, inventory ordering cycle is is like. Um, add in some supply chain disruptions. Add in uh, the um, uh, issues with with people who issues with people ordering more uh, goods and services, and and you end up with this this sort of supply chain this this inventory super cycle that that's just way bigger than what we what we usually see, and. I think there's certainly, um, you know, the longer it goes on, this has obviously lasted longer than we thought. We, at the time, we said, look, you know, two to six months seemed like a reasonable um, estimate of how long it was going to last. Um, the Omicron um, variant and and, and that the, the problems that sort of caused, uh, we think, has, has has been enough to extend it even longer. And and there's obviously and there are some um, uh, some transport type issues that that uh, haven't got to the bottom of yet. But I guess what we're I guess what we're trying to put forward is that, that the central tenets of it are still roughly in place and and it's the idea of saying well um there's there's one of two we spoke you know last week about this idea that uh when you've got uh, a mismatch between demand and supply you have you have elevated um inflation and what what the government's sort of looking at doing at the moment is um demand is sort of is, is sort of average to 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 sort of a little bit strong, um, and it's the, the the weak supply that's really driving it. And so, if if we're going to look at rising interest rates and and central banks, um, you know, sort of really trying to um, tamp down on demand, what we're sort of doing is smashing demand to meet this um, this this lagging supply, and 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 it seems like that might be coming at exactly the right time, exactly the wrong time. So I thought I'd start with the the supply chains. Um, there's it's very hard to measure supply chains. Uh, we've, I've got a chart up here from uh, Oxford Economics, which uh, has what they call a, a supply chain stress tracking, um, made up of you know various different things from prices to to um, transport and, and and other factors that sort of feed into it. And you, so we can see that's sort of come off its top. So it's certainly still stressed. Um, you know the, the supply chains haven't haven't freed up, um, but uh, it 
over the last couple of months at least, it has started to it seems like it started to ease. And uh, you know, there's there's I guess there's hope from some quarters that uh, the Chinese New Year slowdown will actually be uh, enough to to help sort of free that up uh, a little bit further. Having said that, you know, it could take you know we could be a couple of months at least until we sort of see the the end of that. I guess it, I I sort of feel like it's going to end quite suddenly, but um, just not quite sure when. I don't know whether Dave, you have any thoughts on supply chains? Uh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are two scenarios we're thinking about. One is that it does end suddenly if there's a sort of demand air pocket, perhaps coming out of falling asset prices that we've seen the leading edge of as markets contemplate tightening or actually get some tightening. Uh, And then it could be quite sudden, I think, because... Uh, you know, the supply side wouldn't, will not have been standing still over the last couple of years during this stress period. They'll be doing all sorts of solutions. And so if we get a demand air pocket, then a lot of those solutions are suddenly going to create uh, or make manifest efficiencies that are being embedded now. Mm. And so it could all just unwind really fast. Um Alternatively, if demand kind of just kind of holds up and slowly peters off as we tighten, then perhaps, you know, it could be a more gradual process. I still think it would be relatively steep, though, as you point out, once once you kind of start to de-stress these things and they can actually get throughput going pretty well. So um, it's probably precipitous or rel- or sort of moderately quickly. But but the question is yeah it's it's, it's a the question so if, it's, if it's if it's precipitous you know it it could be three months it, you know the other scenario is probably you know throughout the second half of the year. Mm. Um. So so I guess moving on to like the uh the PMI. So these are this is a what's so called a purchasing uh, manager index, and basically what it is is uh it's surveys that have been done for decades from um a number of different places but the ism is probably the, one of the biggest ones uh and that's they, for the us of course the us yeah and they basically ask um people within companies uh you know are you buying more or less than, than the prior month um and then why they sort of dig into the, the the reasons why and so uh you can sort of see on this chart that we um <clears throat> that they've peaked out and that now they're starting to starting to head down it still is an expansionary stage so um, you know, I think the more normal levels are sort of a little bit above 50. Um, so not quite back to more normal levels yet, but they're certainly uh, turning down in the last month or two, uh, you know, that, that downturns, um, well, it's it's become a lot less strong. So still not, yeah, 50 is the sort of the the, the, the stage beyond, uh, behind which you're contracting, uh, but, a, but a normal economy would be somewhere around the sort of um, low 50s, so 55, 53 to 55, say sort of a more normal reading from these. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's, so, oh, no, that's right. So you've got headline, new orders, both coming off, but still pretty strong. Yep. And then backlog of orders uh, mm. is starting to come off pretty hard, which is important. Um, shows that uh, the supply side is getting on top of things, at least the uh, very top end. Uh, yeah, and and, and, and it's this part about the you know that backlog of, of orders is that that's the part where the, you know it's effectively showing this traffic jam where 
people have ordered and, and, and ordered more than once. Uh, and so you sort of got an order from one supplier, it's not getting there, let me order another one from a different supplier. And you know, if the first one eventually gets there, I'll, I'll sell it later. Um, yeah. It's that, well, we, that's, we'll come back to that later when we look at inventories. Mm. Um, but yes, it, and we don't have the PMI inventory chart here to show, but the, the key one is actually new orders uh, divided by inventories, uh, which gives you an idea of, you know, demand versus supply at this point. And, and it's crashed what to 50 now in the US. Uh, so that's telling you that the uh, the new business that's coming on is is now being easily met by capacity on the supply side. Mm. So um, and let me I'll jump into one of those in a minute. I've got I've got, I've got the um, some of the, the Chinese one as well. So um, shut up, <clears throat> just sort of showing that the uh, the 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 Chinese one it, it has fallen even further. So they're, they're back down to 50 and, and, and close to, um, and uh, uh, you know, bounce, it's bounced up a, a little bit in recent times, but but that's sort of back to the stage where it does look like it's 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 into a, certainly a, a more normal level. And actually, for China is 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 a uh, you know a relatively low level for it's basically is um, you know 50s basically where it's bottomed out in 2015 16 and and bottomed out maybe at 49 in in 2019. Um, so yeah, so it's, that's a, it's a low level for, um, for the purchasing index within China. Yeah. Um, we are also starting to see this, this normalization part where, uh, and then I've got another chart up just sort of showing that the, the goods and services, they, they very much separated where, um, you know, once the pandemic hit, um, goods sort of jumped from, from being sort of 30% of the economy to, to, um, 36%. So sort of jumped by 5%, uh, more of the of GDP, and it's now starting to drift back down again, back down to thirty four, um, and services sort of dropped, and, and it's now starting to make its way back up again as well. And that's that's another so so that sort of if, if that keeps continuing in the same direction, then you've, you've got sort of goods, um, you know, three different parts coming to to to, to help ease that is is more productivity from um, from companies in terms of the, what they're producing. Uh, there's the the supply chain. This is the um, the transport side easing as as uh, as those bottlenecks start to start to come good, and then the demand as well at the other end. So, and that's where you know we're talking about it. It could quite could end quite suddenly. Um, it's just a question of uh, of, of when. Yeah, so Damien, and obviously just, the just passing a... of Omicron is going to aid bringing those two lines back together. Yeah, Damien, just a question um, back on the PMI index. Mm. Is that a, is that a lagging indicator? Um, and uh, you know what what is that what is that sort of showing us for the future as well? Yeah, it's usually pretty coincident um, and 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 or and or leading. So what they the thing is their surveys about what um, is is going to happen in the in the coming months. So uh, it's it's a pretty good um, current. Sort of look at, at what purchasing managers are thinking. Uh, they're not always, um, you know, prescient in terms of it. You know, they can it can reverse quite quickly in terms because this is you know, it's it's you're asking people on the ground what are they seeing, and so when there's uh, things like say uh, the coronavirus coming out or recessions hitting and, and things like that, often the people on the ground, you know, they're not they're not looking at the big macro factors and they're not looking at what's happening in other countries. They're just looking at what's happening. Yeah, and so so they, they they can be sort of 
a, a little late on that. But having said that, it's far in advance of, of say, um, you know, reported earnings profits or, or well in advance of any sort of GDP numbers and things like that. So, um, yeah. yes, so so you call it at least coincident and, and, and to a certain extent forward-looking. They're pretty good in picking turning points. I mean, they're directional indices. They're not... Um, they don't pinpoint where you are. What they pinpoint is is rates of change. So are things getting better and by how much? Are things getting worse and by how much? And where those where those <coughs> different descriptions uh, shift from one to another. Yeah. So I've got um, some of the ones that, uh, that helped to tell us where this might be going. So that was, David spoke about the, the new orders versus inventories. Um, we've got that in this next chart where oh, we do have it. Oh. on the one on the right um yeah where it, what this is sort of showing is that yeah the difference between the um new orders and inventories and it's just comparing that to the overall um uh ism um but what it's done is it's 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 led it by six months so it's basically saying that you know if you if you look at where new orders versus inventories are six months in in, in the future that that gives you a pretty good idea about where the um the manufacturing index is going to be in, in six months, you know, in, in six months' time, and so it has turned negative, as you can sort of see from this this chart now, um, and so that's a that's a sign that uh, that that unless something you know changes quite dramatically in terms of stimulus or or you know world economy or pandemic and things like that, that that at the moment you know it, it does look like those uh, that those manu uh, manufacturing indexes are going to turn down and, and quite possibly go negative at some stage. Um, and then the one on the left was just sort of comparing global central bank policy versus that same um, versus that same chart, and so uh, and that's again uh, putting in some leads into the um, this is this is a, a more complicated diffusion index and advanced sort of fifteen months and things like that, um, but it's you know the, the net effect of it is saying uh, what's already happened, what central banks have already done, look like it's going to pull down um, that that uh, manufacturing index to. Um, to negative levels, and so you've got a few things sort of starting to come together there, sort of all pointing at, um, yeah, all pointing at problems for, for uh, the the manufacturing index coming forward, and that's going to help, you know, le less less buying and less business to business transactions is obviously going to help sort of clear up those supply chain problems as well. Well, it's surplus capacity, isn't it? So, yes, yes. Um, uh, I've just got a few other, just two other quick charts along a similar type of line. So these again, just sort of these these forward indicator type charts, so where people look at other other things. So um, one of these is the it looks at regional surprise in purchasing managed index. So basically, how 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 wrong are people are forecasters getting it? Um, with the with the finding that basically, if you if forecasters are getting it wrong on the negative side, so it might not actually be negative. They might be saying, oh, I think it's going to be, you know quite strong and it only comes out to be a little bit strong then then that's a sort of negative surprise so to speak so things are, are not as good as as what everyone's expecting and so this might still be good but just not not as good as, as as expected and that's what this this one on the left is just showing that you know that's saying the same thing um so the prices have generally been negative um and and that's sort of pointing to for that further downside and the last one is um earnings revisions as well uh and so this is a a little bit you know you you want to be using this is a very coincident um, uh, measure, uh, and so 
it's depending on which way you're trying to get it, whether you're trying to use the, the manufacturing to, to help you with some of the forecasts on, on earnings revisions or, or vice versa. But yeah, just sort of showing that same factor that earnings revisions are certainly, um, that, sorry, the breadth of earnings revisions. So what that means is that um, sometimes you're getting lots and lots of companies upgrading earnings and sometimes it's only a few. Uh, and so, but the few ones might be really big. And so your overall economy, the overall stock market might be looking good because you know, uh, big companies are upgrading. But um, when you've got a sort of broad base of companies all sort of downgrading the numbers at the same time, and, and that's again sort of pointing to further weakness in in the um, uh, in the PMIs. So you know, it's none of that's um, you know baked in, and, and none of it's for certain. But it, but certainly looks like uh, you know the the peaks are through in terms of um, the the demand for for industrial goods, and that we're um, we're starting to come out the other side of it now. So, this is, so that leads to this idea of you know what what does it mean for the inventory, and so for anyone who sort of had I'm just going to run through quickly this sort of this idea of an inventory cycle um, and how that works, and and this is you know the inventory cycle is embedded in in most economic cycles, like a, to a smaller extent. Uh, you know our argument is that this is a you know we, we've hit a super cycle because of a number of um, you know largely pandemic driven factors. But um, the typical cycle would, would go with, you know, I've just got here a, a retailer and a wholesaler and a manufacturer. Um, the retailer is selling $100 worth of goods every period, um, whether that's days, weeks, months, whatever the, the you know, the, whatever the order, order period is for, for, you know, fresh fruit and vegetables, it's, it's, it's probably daily or weekly. And, and for, um, you know, washing machines and cars and stuff like that, it's probably more like monthly or quarterly. Uh, so you've got your sales. Um, and then a certain amount of inventory that, that somebody wants to carry. And so I'll, I'll call it 150. Um, and so, you know, if you're selling 100, you want to carry 150 in your inventory. So you've got enough to sell and a little bit spare. And then you every every month the retailer orders another 100 from the wholesaler who then orders another 100 from the um, from the manufacturer. And that sort of um, yeah, flows down the line. Uh, then what happens is you go into this period where you have a drop in sales. And so let and let's say it goes from 100 back to 10, uh, back back to 90. So you, so you've lost 10. That now means you're sitting with 160 in your inventory. So you've picked up an extra 10, um, which means you've got too much inventory. And if you're expecting sales aren't going to bounce back, if they're only going to be 90, then not only do you have a spare 10 sitting in your inventory, so you know I, I need to, to order 10 less for this month, and also need to order another 10 less because you know I'm only, only expecting 90 going forward. And so, um, yeah, so the actual order, uh, you know, the, the, the retailer um, is down 10%. The wholesaler actually ends up being down 35%. And then the manufacturer ends up being down 60% because it's sort of this telescoping, this, this um, uh, what do you call it? It's a, uh, yeah, there's, there's leverage within that. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of an exponential effect the further oh. down, down, down you go down the, um, down the pathway. And so that's why um, you, know, you see that, in, in times of trouble, uh, wholesalers and manufacturers um, get hit far harder than than um, uh, than the retailers. But you you also get it going the other direction. And so then I've got a, a on the on the next table I've got you know this period seven eight and nine where it's showing the opposite goes into effect. You bounce back from ninety to one hundred, and uh, the retailers you know goes up eleven percent in terms of its sales. But now the wholesaler is up thirty nine percent, and the manufacturer is up. You know, almost seventy percent in terms of in terms of its orders, and so, um, and that's because that, what they need to, the what the manufacturer is effectively doing is saying, you know, your, your sales have bounced back by another ten, so so now you need to order some more, 
but also you want to fill up your inventory. And and the argument right now is that people have also been scared by um, how much they've been caught short. And so uh, and so they're going to want to overfill their inventories. So they're saying, you know, maybe they had used to have, you know, 1.5 times uh, their sales in, in inventory. Now they might need two times, two times or, or three times. And so that means there's this um, this big sort of pig in the python, so to speak, sort of pushing through this manufacturing where people are trying to order more. Then we've had the problem of, um, of transport as well, where you know transport slowed down. So if you've got uh, if your typical cycle used to be sort of ten days from to get from your, your manufacturer to um, to your warehouses and, and, and say out to your retailers, and now that's blown out to thirty days. Well, that means you need to be ordering. Um, you know, you need to be putting in bigger orders to try and uh, account for the fact that you've now got to carry more inventory um, when part of that inventory is just sitting in, in warehouses and, and ships and trucks somewhere between you and, and, and your manufacturer. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a pretty reasonable argument that that's where we're sitting at the moment. And if we go back to the normal, you know, it goes back from the 30 days back to 10 days, that frees up all this extra um uh, or this extra inventory, which you can then sell. And so when you look at the national accounts, um, that's basically exactly what we've seen come through. So uh, I've got, this is again, the US national accounts, but you can see a massive build in, in, in inventory, sorry, massive change in inventories. So um, yeah, lots of, lots of money is being spent um, and lots of sort of flowing through into that. Uh, there still is, inventories still are at relatively low levels. Um, but if you strip out cars, um, they certainly look less low. Uh, so, so you know, car inventories are, are very, very low, and and we're seeing that come through in in you know, high used car prices and, and hard to get rental cars and things like that. But um, oh, uh, if you strip out cars, inventories are overflowing. Mm. Yeah, and then, but and then it's a question as to whether people are going to want to fill up. The inventory is more, though. I guess that's the that's the open question. So, uh, so Damien, this this is real private inventory. What what actually makes up um, this sort of index here? Right. This, this is from the national accounts, um, and it's uh, so so it's basically a, a, an account for for all companies um, of of what's sitting in there. Um, yeah, yeah. What you if you've ordered goods but haven't sold them yet. Um, oh, sorry, order then receive goods, but haven't sold them yet, is the definition. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So if you look look onto the next chart, uh, you'll see what I mean when I say they're, they're certainly overflowing at the wholesale level, uh, which is you know, kind of the next step down through the supply chain from the manufacturers. Uh, where, you know, as we pointed out, we're starting to see activity slow. Uh, but if you look at the wholesale uh, component on the right-hand chart here, the inventories are absolutely through the roof. And moreover, uh, the next sort of link in the chain is retailers and their inventories are still low, but are now climbing exponentially. Uh, so... You know, the thesis is basically, as Damo has said, you know, owing to ex excess demand in goods and then um, difficulties in getting supply, there's this pig in the python of over-ordering that's stuck in the system uh, and is starting to slowly loosen up. 
Uh, and this is, you know, like what we can kind of see the loosening if we forward to the next chart. Some of the transport bottlenecks are starting to ease in shipping uh, uh, around the world. They're still very high, but they are coming off. And the same can be seen in US rail uh, and stuff. So, you know, there, there are signals that all of these various blockages are starting to ease a little. Uh, and there are there are, is a more evidence of this in transport in in the raw materials space where we're seeing the Baltic dry absolutely crash price for LNG tankers etc is crashing as we speak negative uh, at the moment was it for LNG well in the Atlantic it's gone negative I think yeah. it's the first time ever yeah. um, and uh, so you know all of the shipping blockages that we've seen that have been driving up prices uh, are all starting to come off really fast that, as well that's, yeah so that's for um uh raw materials raw materials yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Container, goods, container goods, is, is goods still, are still it's still high yes mm -hmm. but it is rolling yes it looks like it will continue to do so mm -hmm. uh, and so it's and, just and there's a question yeah. for some of these is like is the question is how much of these supply chain problems is because you've had just people off sick from from coronavirus or or in quarantine and all that type of stuff and and as case numbers seem to be um tumbling sort of around um yeah around the world uh whether that's you know one more factor that helps to to ease this is it you know if i have a thousand truck drivers but but only 900 of them can actually drive trucks because 10 percent of them have been off sick for the last two or three months but now it's down to only five percent off sick um yeah that then gets me back up to 950 and then I can yeah, start delivering more things. And we do. We also wonder, don't we, if, if that isn't also exaggerating employment indexes. So yeah. labor, labor supply may also be impacted by this insofar as if you have generally have a thousand truckies and 10% of them are, have been off sick for the last kind of three months as we soldier through, yeah. you know. Through and a different the, 10%. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it's always, always, yes. there's always a rolling 10%. Yeah, yeah that's then, right. Then you you are probably over-ordering labour as mm. well. You're employing an extra 10% because you've always got 10% off. Yes. So uh, as Omicron um, passes, you know, there may be some loosening in the on the supply side of labour markets as well, uh, which would obviously add to downside of the inflation scare that we've got at the moment. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, you want to? You've got this UPS thing here. Just more evidence. Don't yeah. I? So the other, I mean, the, the other one with the the um, the like, just sort of showing this is this is where it's coming through from from companies. It's it's surprising as I dig through and look at um, the different companies like UPS and and um, uh, you know some of the transport ones like Night Swift and and all these these sort of people who are sort of dealing with it at the coalface is that their volumes have generally been really poor. So, you know, despite the fact we're talking about this excess goods demand, uh, if you look at the revenues for, um, say, UPS is up quite dramatically, uh, you know, 12.5%, which for revenue is like a, you know, an extreme measure, extremely um, great, great um, result. Uh, but it's all been in the price. The, the, the volumes are, are actually, you know, barely above where they were this time last year. And it's, that's sort of, you know, 
this isn't the exception. There's just company after company showing this same type of factor where you know some of them are even going backwards in terms of the, the volumes they're producing, um, but making it all back and, and more in terms of putting out through these prices, which you know for the companies involved, you just need to you know the question is can they hold on to it? But it's more of a factor of, of of just sort of I guess clearing up that that you know there are um, we're not talking about sort of these massive demand levels that that will never clear like the the amount of you know and it's the idea that even with the even with all these lockups they're still delivering as much as they did last year and and, and even a little bit more and that um, it probably won't take much to sort of you know you don't need to add much more capacity to to really start to to free it and um, but yeah. yeah. Or lose just a little demand. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, the other component to it is sort of political economy dimension. Is you wonder how much gaming there's going on in it as well. Like, because the inflation panic has become so ubiquitous that it's not, you know, everybody's got got a kind of artificial float of pricing power. Yes. To to work with. And who gets who gets to hold on to that? Yeah, who gets to hold on to it? I mean, if we actually return to a relatively competitive space mm. where, you know, these these things clear and the, the narrative of inflation, I, I guess you'd call it inflation expectations, start to come off, mm. um, then the whole gaming of price rises, you know, could implode really quickly as well. Yes, yeah. And well, that's, yeah. And that's the most important. I mean, like, that's the one... Look, nobody knows, and it's, you know, as, as, as we're going through every company that's done well out of this, it's, it's a matter of saying, um, okay, so UBS is a good example. You know, they've picked up a whole bunch on the basis of fuel and and demand related surcharges and things like that. Um, okay, now as demand starts to fall back and and there's all this extra supply, you know, the the, the um, planes start going back between the US and, and China, and and we start seeing um, you know the port of LA freeze up and, and things like that. Um, can they hold on to these price rises? So they've, you know, it used to cost you whatever twenty dollars to send a parcel from here to here, and now it's twenty-two dollars. Can they hold on to that twenty-two, or will competition from other providers sort of drive that back to the, um, the back to the twenty dollars? Now, in in this type of market, I sort of feel as if they they've got a bit of pricing power, but and 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 there's not many big providers, so so maybe they'll be able to hold on to some of it. Um, they'll certainly give back a decent amount. Um, there's there's other industries where you just look at and you go, there's no way they'll hold on to these price rises. You know, they're commodity type businesses, highly competitive, and and they're going to give it back. And there's other businesses that are, um, you know, very loyal customers and and uh, you know, high switching costs and things like that. And they probably will be able to hold on to the the, the revenues they put through. So you know, for us, it's um, you know, company by company is really about trying to dig in and try to work out which of the companies that can hold on to these. Uh, price rises and which ones, which are the ones that um, you know have really benefited from them in the short term, but are getting back as, as soon as uh, as soon as things turn. I will say that in the macro sense, because I mean, obviously that's bottom up. You're talking there, but in top down terms, the key the key take out of this is uh, you know for your asset allocation is that this cycle exaggerated earnings on the way up because mm. you had incredible pricing power over ordering of everything uh you know big fat margins and huge volumes uh but then you're going to do the complete reverse mm. with shrinking margins and falling volumes and and so 
what what exaggerated earnings on the way up is going to exaggerate downside for earnings mm. as this thing unravels. Yeah, and, well, and, and that's where they've spent capex. Yes, that's, that's the part where where somebody's gone. Okay, you know whatever it is, it cost me hundred dollars to deliver this from here to here, and so um, and they've got all these supply chain problems, and so they're going to spend. You know, I'm going to spend five hundred dollars to put a new system in, so that now it only cost me, you know, eighty dollars to send it, and and so I've got this, um, and and then when you've, then when it does clear up, and and you're charging a hundred, you know, is then they say, well, I've just spent all this money, I've just spent all this capex to to put this new system in, you know, I'm going to use, I want to use it. Let me lower my price so I can pick up volume and 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 you know, get get a return on my investment, and if. If everyone's trying to do that, then um, yeah, then prices really get smashed. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Well, I mean, what we're talking about here, this kind of recession, uh, this kind of inventory cycle, it's typical of a recession. Like mm. that's normally when you would see something like this. Um, on this occasion, it doesn't mean necessarily a recession because there's a couple of offsetting factors. One, obviously, as we've already indicated one of those earlier charts services are going to climb as goods come off uh, and so you know that's going to give you a substitution of activity rather than disappearance of it uh, and then there's cars as well which are, are a very large component of european and us uh, activity mm. and you know that's a different cycle at the moment that's still got got a lot of uh, backlog and so, the, yeah. so both of those two things will offer um, you know a, sort of GDP support but uh, the issue is having <clears throat> having ex had exaggerated earnings across the stock market and now price them into eternity mm. is this cycle going to be enough to uh, to implode that as earnings compensate to the downside and we find ourselves with very high uh, multiples and expectations that simply cannot be met. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's the, the difference. Like, you know, we're, we're obviously buying stocks. And, um, and as the Fed tightens into it, you know. Yeah. Like we were buying stocks last year um, on the back of, you know, quite, quite high multiples, but um, we're seeing earnings improving um, and, and, and earnings being upgraded throughout the time. So those multiples of even those stock markets have gone up, those multiples have come down because of that. Uh, yeah, because you've seen the, the, the improvement in the earnings. Uh, and I guess what Dave is positing is here is saying, well, if you're paying the same amount, though, and, and earnings are starting to fall, then that's when, um, yeah, stock markets can, can reprice quite, quite, um, quite quickly. In yeah, terms of uh, reassessing the, uh, the outlook. Right. Um, so the last thing we wanted to do, sort of raise, was this, this idea about this, that, and I guess that's coming back to this idea of this capacity expansion and and operational improvements, and um, you know, are we going to end up with this excess capacity? And and you know, the analogy is you've you, the wheels are spinning, but you know they haven't actually hit the the, the you know they're still spinning on the dirt or spinning on the on the mud. And, you know, if they can hit the the actual road and then then take off, you know, that's where you you quite possibly. Um, yeah, all this extra capacity ends up really hitting um, hitting that demand. So, so I guess in terms of investment implications um, coming from this, you know, for the, probably the key one is uh, is this idea of trying to find companies that can hold on to margin expansion. You know, certainly over the next uh, over the next year, 
is, is about saying who, who has pricing control and who doesn't because, uh, and that typically means not value stocks. So there's this argument right now about whether you should be trying to buy value stocks because as, as interest rates rise, that tends, they, they tend to be the, the, the stocks that, that perform well. Uh, the problem with that is that that's usually um, driven by a strong economy. So we've got this strong economy, um, interest rates are starting to rise, uh, companies are starting to get more pricing power because of uh, there's, there's, there's uh, more demand than what there is supply and central banks are starting to try and move interest rates down to try and, um, you know, to try and relieve demand. Uh, the problem with it at the moment is the demand isn't particularly strong and potentially weakening for those, you know, those reasons we spoke about for, for the flip back between um, goods and services. And so uh, in, a, in, that, in the other scenario where, you know, it's a growing strong economy, that's where companies that don't have that much pricing power manage to get through price rises and, and actually manage to, to sort of grow their, their, their business quite strongly, which is why you'd buy value stocks. Um, what we're saying is that why we think this time is different is because it's not a demand-driven one, it's a supply problem. And so uh, if, if the, the value stocks who don't have that um, pricing control uh, are, are the ones you're buying, um, they're the ones that could will, will quite likely suffer the most uh, if, if demand turns down you know, relative to... Um, relative to and supply expands um yeah so if you demand or even if demand doesn't go anywhere and supply expands to, to to meet it yeah and inflation will come off much more sharply than than the uh consensus is currently expecting yes exactly and that sort of leads you to this part is you know is it going to be excess capacity and and that's the you know that's the real danger for um if, you, if you're looking at a traditional rising interest rate trade which is go out and buy um, uh, value stocks, uh, and so yes, that's where we're we're being quite limited in terms of the uh, the value stocks we're we're including at this point. So yeah, I mean, there's some other implications in there that that you know stocks are still very highly priced for ongoing boom growth, but it's a head fake if you believe in the inventory cycle, uh, and so stocks themselves quite aside from what Damo's talking about in finding winners and losers in segments, the overall uh, multiple of stocks is likely to come under pressure. Um, at the moment, we're seeing, you know, a backup in yields that, you know, may have a little further to go, but it can't really get very far. Again, if you think that this inventory cycle is critical because the Fed's going to tighten it pro-cyclically by accident you know, by which I mean it's going to tighten directly into what is going to be implicitly a slowing period in the cycle. And so it might get a couple of hikes away and suddenly the economy looks like it's crashing. Uh, and, you know, you get a recession panic and stocks all get flogged and, you know, bonds are suddenly bid again. Uh, and, you know, at that point, you're looking at, uh, you know, another, you know, a scenario in which another PAL pivot becomes plausible. From so we just to dovish. We've uh, we've just got a viewer question here from uh, from James. So saying, listening to this, it seems like central banks around the world are risking a lot by tightening into this situation. Uh, what what are your guys' views on that? I agree. Hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think they're making a mistake. Is what I think. Yeah, yeah, and that's where, and and, and I guess this is the, you know, this is our thesis behind saying, look, it's not, it's not the time to chase the market higher and try and just look. This is a bounce, you know. This is my time. Missed my chances to get in before. You know, let let me pull in now because the markets have pulled back a bit. We're saying, um, no, this is a, yeah, this is this is a a, a highly dangerous time, and that the odds, in our view, the odds are that um, the it, that central banks are making a mistake. So it's not a given that it'll absolutely happen that way. You know, there's plenty of other things that could um, could step in and change. But um, but yeah, yeah, we'd be certainly be very wary of uh, of chasing the market at this point. I'll add. There's one more component to this which we haven't actually listed on here, but there is a second kind of inventory cycle trailing everything that we've described here, uh, and this one's this one's a bit more hysterical, and that is. Um, because the inflation narrative has taken hold of markets so strongly, and especially Wall Street cheerleaders and spruikers, uh, they've been pushing the line of that uh, everyone should be buying commodities uh, for inflation hedging purposes. And so that's given, you know, the, the entire kind of inflationary blow off this extra uh, kind of levitation because, you know, you've had, very strong bid in oil, but not just oil, bloody everything. It's just any commodity that's kind of got any kind of supply side disruption or uh, any kind of inventory issues at all has just been bid sky high. Uh, but I, I'm positing that a lot of this is fake. It's basically a lot of it's run through futures and through in like inventory processes that are, that are possible for big players to corner like warehousing and things. It's speculation rather than fundamental underlying demand. Absolutely. And so if this inventory cycle that we're describing today unwinds as the central banks tighten and it happens quickly and the entire inflation narrative is punctured, then you have a second secondary impact where there'll be a disgorging of all these commodity positions and a second round of selling, of deflationary selling, will take hold. Uh, and so you've got a lot of dominoes lined up here if the inventory cycle thesis plays out. A lot of deflationary dominoes. I think that's probably, uh, that probably winds up. What we're, I don't know if there's any other questions, Sam, you wanted, or anything you wanted to... Uh, there's no other questions, uh, viewer questions at the moment, but uh, now's a good opportunity to uh, have our question of the week. So this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comments comment section over the coming days. So the question for this week is, is the inventory cycle over? Uh, so feel free to post your thoughts, engage with us and some of the other viewers. Uh, I hope this gives some of, some of our, our listeners and viewers some insight about what's likely to play out over the short term. And uh, that almost wraps us up. So, um, Damien or Dave, have you got any any final thoughts you want to share? No, thank you. No, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Okay, uh, excellent. So, we do welcome your feedback on the show, uh, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the YouTube comments below or send us an email at contact at nucleuswealth.com. 
Just a reminder, this is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation, please go to our website at nucleuswealth.com and book a call myself or the team. Don't forget to like the video now. And finally, if you know anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you can please share it with them. If you'd like to see some more of our previous episodes and content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. And to stay up to date with news from us, you can also follow us on all our ma all major social media. So for myself, Damien, Dave, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.